and welcome into part two with the father and son combo. No, shut that over. Three, two, one. Welcome into the second part of our uh, father-son combo of Al and Gary Derusha. I am Chris Tubbs. Let's uh, wait no further. Let's go ahead and uh, add Joe and uh, add Al and uh, Gary. And I know uh, we've got some, you guys mentioned the uh, the infamous Pine Box interview with me and Gene. We did a show a couple of months ago, and I didn't get a chance to say this last week, but that promo is my all-time favorite AWA promo. I, I just, I love the way that it all came together and the pine box. And yeah, I have to say that it's kind of fun to hear behind the scenes. You tell me just kind of how Gene was in, you know, how he brought it to life, but then how the idea of it came together with you guys putting it together. So first of all, uh, Al, thank you for your input in putting that together because that's my all-time favorite promo. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. So let's uh, go ahead and uh, and get right into it. Uh, you were talking about Andre. Uh, I know you got another Andre story, but then I've got I got somebody else that I want to bring up. That we talk about the good, but there's also uh, another one that I want to bring up. But uh, you had another Andre story you were going to tell. No. Did you had another Andre story? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, and uh, somehow uh, Andre found out that it was uh, my birthday. So he made a deal with the manager of the hotel to uh, open up the uh, pool area and... Uh, after you know after hours and uh, Andre uh, had all the food catered in and he had big bottles of magnum uh, champagne bottles he had everything you could think of we went for two three hours at that pool area just laughing and having a hell of a great time and telling stories yeah Andre uh, autographed a uh, magnum uh, bottle of champagne for me, which I still have in my bar. And uh, he, you know, Andre took two weeks off and went to uh, uh, Paris and brought his family. He was from Grenoble, uh, France, and he would, you know, money was no object, do what you want to do, and he would take his whole family for two weeks, and then that would be it. The rest of the time, he uh, ref, uh, wrestled. Uh, his big deal was to play uh, cribbage oh. and drink uh, Cavassier. Uh, Andre and I, uh, very seldom did he ever do um, interviews, but there was a, a, a big um, um, automobile uh, dealership in Fargo, North Dakota, and they, he talked, the owner, whatever, was a friend of the mayor of, of the um, Fargo, and Andre said, okay, I'll come and make a personal appearance, And but uh, he wanted me to uh, uh, fly with him, and of course, uh, Andre would fly uh, our, uh, in first class, and and he'd uh, have me with him. We'd play... Um, 
uh, cribbage and he would drink Cavassier and I think he drank all the Cavassier on, that they had on the plane <laughs> and he could drink and never bother them. But we were coming down for a landing and we had, you know, some drinks on our table and whatever in the plane. Whoa, right back up again and everything flew. And what the hell? And we looked back and there was a snowplow coming right across the runway. Wow. And wow. we said, wait a minute. How many planes land in Fargo, North Dakota in the winter time. What the hell? Somebody messed up on the schedule and here comes the ball. Boom. That's how close. Wow. And I realized, I think he got so worried he shrunk uh, down to uh, the midget size. <laughs> I mean, that was really, really something, you know. But anyway, Andre was great. And, and uh, uh, I he actually, uh, Andre, when he was in town, he actually taught me how to play cribbage. Yeah. And then when I went to New York and we were producing out there and that was, he was there. Um, he, my name was juice, juice, let's shoot a game, juice, let's shoot a game. And, uh, him and Arnie Skolan and uh, I, uh, were the only ones that he played cribbage with. I mean, all the boys played cribbage, uh, but Andre had his favorite to play with. Um, and Arnie Skolan and myself out in New York were the ones that he played, uh, wanted, loved to play cribbage. But he, Andre's the one that taught me how to play cribbage. Gary, <laughs> how did you get your nickname, Juice? Well, <clears throat> long story short, my brother Greg, when I was a little boy, called me Smable Juice. And no idea where it came from. But then as I got into the wrestling and being a little boy and a little kid around the studio... Um, and then with wrestling, it, it just, my nickname was Smable or Juice, and then obviously get the juice. Oh, that's what I thought it was from. Oh, no, and then it, it, it turned into that. And <laughs> um, so sometimes they'd say, get the juice. And I thought I was going to take a bump. Gary <laughs> um, Blackwell is the one that actually um, uh, used it a lot because he would get the juice a lot and he wouldn't care. I would carry his blade for him. So when you see my, my wrists were taped up, I had the blade in there. And so when we get the, when we got to the point, they'd say, get the juice. Well, no, it was Gary Hammond Blackwell as Blade to get the juice, but that it, it, it stuck on. Um, when I went to New York, I started in uh, St. Louis down at the, um, uh, we did a uh, taping down at the uh, St. Louis uh, Hotel down there. That's when Vince McMahon first started. That's a whole other story for a whole other episode, but um, it just stuck with me. And uh, Vince McMahon, thought it was great and my business cards from the wwe or wwf at the time was gary juice de Russia. <laughs> and so it, it's always stuck with me and uh but it, the original name came from my my brother greg as smable juice and then you know as i got smartened up in the business it <laughs> me as juice. so al there you know we talked about the pine box interview it is my most requested interview 
when somebody wants to see an old clip, it's always Mad Dog and Gene doing taboot, taboot. But there's another interview that I had the fortune to be involved with. We did it at the AWA studio. Um, uh, the interview started with Larry Nelson interviewing you about small town promotions. And you had a surprise guest that, shall we say, um, burst onto the scene by the name of The Blaster. Can you tell us a little bit about that interview? The interview with The Blaster. Oh, well, uh, when we first started out, Roger and I doing spot shows, uh, Vern would not allow uh, us or the wrestlers to do an interview. Uh, we couldn't mention the town we were going to, even though we were giving him 60% of the house. And we still did very well, even without being able to, to plug the, the upcoming towns. And finally, Vern, you know, we've given him so much money. He said, well, okay, well, what, what we did is he's, we, you go on with Larry Nelson, and Larry will ask you how they can get in, in touch with you uh, to bring wrestling to their town. And I was doing the interview with Larry, and yeah, that's right. And uh, if you want wrestling to come to your town, uh Later on, Roger Kent will tell you how to get uh, how to get wrestling. Blah blah blah. And we're doing the interview, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, bam! The whole set just exploded. The wall or whatever scared the hell out of me and Larry Nelson. Larry didn't know it was coming at all. And what's the matter with you? You broke the wall. And they jumped up and down. And you jumped broke up the and wall. down. You <laughs> broke the wall. You, oh, God. That was a great, that, that was a, a good interview. That was really a, a little behind the scenes. Another, a little behind the scenes on that one, Al. A little behind yeah, the scenes on the blaster interview wall. So at the AWA, where we did the interviews, um, my dad had done some construction. My dad was a, a, a master carpenter, master cabinet maker by, by trade. And so he built the wall. And so we didn't tell you or Larry that we were going to have the blaster come through because we wanted a genuine reaction. So we had, you know, uh, we had the wall gimmicked a little bit, but apparently not enough <laughs> in the sheetrock. Gary broke through the wall. Gary Lindgren um, uh, was the blaster. And he broke through the wall, and he ended up getting cuts underneath his arm from having to break through because we didn't gimmick it enough. But, yes, I was running camera on that interview. I got surprised because I didn't know exactly when he was going to bust through, but your and Larry's reaction, <laughs> priceless. Again, the second most asked interview question that I get. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was uh, uh, great. Um, I was thinking of uh, I was going to tell another interview uh, with Wally and uh, um, Bobby Heenan. How the heck? Oh, uh, 
the uh, uh, what's his name, the president in, uh, of the AWA. Okay, thank you. Stanley Blackburn sent a telegram to the wrestling office. It was a work, you know, it was a, a setup. And um, it read that Bobby Heenan, because of his interference in the matches and whatever, and he is uh, permanently uh, out of wrestling. Uh, we're going to cancel his manager's license, and he, if we don't want him in the arena and whatever. And uh, Mean Gene uh, was interviewing Wally, and they had me come in and ring, uh, read the telegram. And uh, Wally walks off, and in comes Bobby Heenan screaming and hollering and, you know, uh, all upset the way he does. And uh, he leaves in a, in a, you know, a tantrum, and Wally comes in and said, yes, Gene, that's true. And he never, he better not ever show up his face again. <laughs> Don't show up your face. Don't Al. show up your face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we're, we want to get yeah, into some yeah, rapid we, questions here uh, or something that you had talked about, Chris. So maybe this would be a good time to switch over to those questions. Yeah. Before we do that, I, I want to ask you, Gary, like what was your favorite refereeing moment? Like was there one for you that really stands out as being oh, there, memorable? There's, there's so many of them. I can talk about the, uh, at uh, the showboat, Joe, you were there. Uh, the other referee didn't show up. I did 21 TV matches and then turned around and had to do an hour Broadway with Nick Bockwinkle <laughs> and Kurt Henning, which was, you know, one of the top. And then we took that and we went to the Cow Palace and that's where we did the spot with uh, Larry Zabisco and the Dimes and all that. Uh, one of the other ones was out in uh, Denver in a cage match. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, one of the, the best orchestrated fun matches I did uh, was when we were doing Wrestle Rock and we went to the Salt Lake City uh, Salt Palace, wasn't it, Joe? Salt Palace in Salt Lake. Yep. And we were doing Wrestle Rock and we had uh, the main event was Kurt Henning against Ric Flair. And we went out there and, you know, we, we had the wrestle rock him. It was, um, uh, Mot not Motley Crue. Molly Hatchet. What, Molly Hatchet. Thank you. Boy, you talk about partying. Woof, did we have a good time? <laughs> Any event, um, Kurt and Ric Flair went out there and probably had, there was no word spoken. You know, nobody was calling the match. Nobody had to do anything. We really didn't have a finish. We just kind of went out there and I did my job uh, and it was fun. You never heard Kurt call a spot. You never heard Flair call a spot. They just went out there and the two talented people that they were uh, was, it, it's gotta be one of the, it, it wasn't one of the most televised. I mean, we've done a lot of, a, a lot of that stuff and, you know, I was known for taking bumps and da 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 da. But at the end of the day, one of the, fun, most fun, uncalled, unscripted match was Kurt Henning against Ric Flair in Salt Lake City. It was phenomenal. 
Man. You know what, what I remember, unfortunately, is that we had the additional Wrestle Rocks, but we never recorded them. Salt no. Lake and Denver, those were just all house shows, no TV. No, and, and that, well, and that, we should well, have. Yeah, well, exactly. But those, to me, were really more Wrestle Rock because for the original Wrestle Rock, we had Waylon Jennings. Yeah, 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 and, and, and uh, yeah, there's some stories behind that. But at the yeah, end of the day, um, Joe, I, after Salt Lake City, we went up and did that. Uh, I think it was right after Vegas. I think we went to Salt Lake, and then we went up to um, what's the other town gambling town up in in Nevada? Um, Reno? No, yeah, Reno, Nevada. Yeah, and that's where we did the uh, John Madden football birthday party up there, and that's where it, the, this goes when the Midnight Rockers were around. Oh boy! And boy, if we could, if we could have had that event on tape, um, people would say, "No way is this possible that this should happen." Uh, but yeah, we did. I mean, oh, if you only knew now what you knew then, right? Yeah, all the things that took place, but. Yeah, that Ric Flair and Kurt Henning match, uh, that was fun. It was just unscripted, go have fun, do your job. And the, the, I think we went 40 minutes. Jeez. Well, I know that um, you know, we, we've got some time. Um, I've got a million more questions, even though, I mean, Al, I've heard so many stories from both of you over the years, I, and I'm not exaggerating. We could do eight episodes of this and still not have all of the stories. Oh, easily. Like, I, I'm, I'm floored. Like, I'm just, I'm just sitting here like a kid in a candy shop. I'm just... I'm loving this. Like this cool. is this is what the podcast is about. Like hearing this stuff. Like this this stuff's cool, man. I love it. I love but it. let's get into because I want to make sure there are so so many wrestlers that we have worked with over the years, and you guys more than I have. You started in the business before I did, so I want to do. Um, you know, you could call it rapid fire, but we don't have to be so rapid about it. Um, but we'll try to keep the story short so that we can cover as many of them as we can. So I want to start with you, Al. Um, Ric Flair, what was it like? Ric Flair went through Vern Gagne's training camp and uh, wrestled here for a while, and he had some uh uh, problems with Vern and Rick said, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm getting out. And uh, we had a going away party for Rick and uh, Wahoo and a bunch of guys were there. But anyway, you remember the song tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree and right in the middle of the party when everything's going great, here comes Rick bare ass naked with a yellow ribbon tied around his old oak tree. <laughs> and you know why he was called the nature boy? Yeah. Because of that? Well, no, because he just, he'd be, he would be undressed all the time. Ah, the, the natural boy. Yeah, the nature boy. That's how he got his name. Oh, I went to his first wrestling match after he came through uh, Burns camp and Vern would uh, book uh, 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 like Ric Flair and uh, 
other people that went through uh, uh, his camp uh, for the first uh, match uh, to get used to being in a, you know, uh, in an arena atmosphere and get used to the people and uh, whatever. And uh, Ric Flair's uh, first uh, match was in Eau Claire. And he rolled down with me, Greg Gagne, and Jim Brunzel. And on the way home, we stopped, uh, had a few uh, canoopers, a few drinks, and uh, we go, um, Rick uh, left and went out the outside and uh, we're where the hell did, we, did he go and so we all getting ready to go we go out there and there's Rick they had a big sign for the uh, the, the bar and there's Rick with his pants down and uh, relieving himself on the sign. on the sign <laughs> the neighbors, he was something else um, so, Gary, next one for you. Uh, one of my favorites, the guy who uh, I've called um, the most opposite wrestler, and that is where what he was like in real life versus what his persona was, completely different, but he was a master at both. My dear friend, Baron Von Roschke. Oh, okay. I'm glad you brought that up. They, you know, Aaron, uh, the Baron, uh, his interviews would always end with, and that's all the people need to know. And he was doing an interview for one of the markets, and he's going on and on. And he actually... In his mind, he ran out of time. He didn't know what else to say. So he said, and that's all the people need to know. And that, <laughs> that's how that started. And later on, I don't know if you can uh, see this or not. It's uh, Baron's uh, shot glass. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the Baron came out with his own shot glass. That is all the people need to know. So sure, down man. below, they have the scrap iron shot. Then they have the mad dog shot. Then they have the crusher shot. And then, of course, all the way to the top, it's Baron Von Raschke's attitude adjuster. <laughs> um, I got to tell you a story. And, Joe, you're absolutely right. The Baron is a character that will never, ever, ever be. No. Nobody, you could never duplicate that. And Jim Raschke outside the ring is one of the nicest, kindest, oh, well, yeah. quiet, Joe and Joe, you know as well as I do, quietest, friendliest guy you'll ever meet. With an incredibly dry sense of humor that is second to none. And then, boom, you can flip the switch and he's back to me in the Baron. <laughs> and so I'm going to go back to when I was a little kid. Uh, when we were at uh, Care 11 Studios, they used to have the cooking show in the other studio. Well, when Baron would go to do the claw, um, I was the kid out back in the back of the in the uh, the other studio. I was actually boiling and softening up the apples, and so that when Baron would he'd be able to crush an apple, well, it was my job as to go to the kitchen and get them. Uh, nice and soft so that he could 
smash him through the screen when we had the cage match or smash him with his hands. And um, we sat one day later on in life, uh, we would go to this and, and Jim Rashke and his bride, Bonnie, who is just a phenomenal woman. Mrs. Uh, Claw. What's that? Mrs. Claw. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bonnie is just classic. Um, and there, there's so many Rashke stories you could tell. And one of his favorite was when he's out having a good time or whatever, he says, and Bonnie thinks I'm having fun. <laughs> but, uh, Baron and I sat down in a little hotel in Alma, Wisconsin, uh, called the Hillcrest. And I hadn't seen the, I call him the bear. Um, we sat down and I brought a cooler and it was, it had a case of beer in it. And I said, well, bear, let's have a beer. Well, after that case was gone, we decided to get on the party bus. But, yeah, we sat and drank a case of beer and BSed. And uh, he, he was always fun to be in, in to referee. I mean, we have story. My dad traveled with him forever. Oh. But, uh, yeah, the bear is, the yeah, uh, totally opposite to your point, Joe. I still get a Christmas card every year from uh, Jim and Bonnie, you know, uh, he like Gary said, uh, he would uh, come out of character <clears throat> a lot when we were partying and having a good time, and he would uh, would uh, sing his favorite N E B R A S, you know, Nebraska. Go big red, go big red. <laughs> yeah, that. that it, well, we went to that uh, premiere uh, movie uh, that uh, his son Carl produced, and we were all there. We've got a photo of uh, the uh, Gary and Greg and um, uh, Glenn and myself with the Baron, and he was uh, well. You know, and I brought my uh, broadcast uh, uh, Hall of Fame uh, video. They ended up with it, and. That's all the people need to know. You, know? So you talk about somebody that has spit an image of his dad is C. Carl Rashke. Oh. just like his dad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, man. Next question. Another name. Uh, it's tough to argue that he is probably, not probably, the most famous, famous wrestler that's been around. Maybe not the greatest technically, but the one incredible Hulk Hogan. Huh. Well, so bat right after Rocky three. Now we talked about yeah. Andre the Giant, right? Yep. Well, the producers of the movie Rocky three uh, wanted Andre to do the Hulk Hogan role in Rocky three, and Andre didn't like the finish and what it was standing for and. He says, you know, I got a guy. He says, his name's Terry Bollea. Here's his phone number. Call him. So right after Rocky III, Hulk came to Minneapolis. And right. we used, I was still producing and directing and along with my dad. But um, Terry really couldn't talk. Mm -hmm. he, he, not a very good interviewer. So, and he didn't trust a lot of people because he was new and, you know, he he was he was Sterling Golden down in Florida, but when he came, he got Hulk Hogan, and I would take just I learned from my dad like Gene Okerlund, him teaching Gene Okerlund, 
um, Terry and I hooked up right away for some reason. The chemistry was just there. And uh, I would ride with him in his car to the town. Sound familiar? Geez, I wonder where I learned that from. <laughs> we started doing interviews and he had a Lincoln Continental. I can't remember what year it was, but it had a CB radio. Okay, that's how far back it goes. <laughs> but we were practicing on the CB radio. And so I would ask him questions. This is where we came up with the, uh, whoa, 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 Mean Gene, it's like a 747 coming in for a landing. He'd come in with his arms. We came up with Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. Um, we came up, you know, break those chains that bind me. And what you going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? Ripping the T-shirt. I would sit We would while we were driving. We'd, I'd sit and cut the cut the t-shirt so he'd rip them open but the name hulkamania came we were driving from lacrosse wisconsin we're, we're going to lacrosse wisconsin we used to have to stop at in cannon falls at barney's chicken, chicken. <laughs> love the chicken there so we always say and he say, hey juice we gotta stop at bizzardi's and so we <laughs> but we were driving home that night and we were still practicing interviews and I came up, I was the announcer, and I said, it's like Hulkamania is running wild. And he said, what would you just say? I said, it's like Hulkamania running wild. He goes, that's it. We're going to run with it. So that went on and on. And I still, for the years, you know, we worked on all different kinds of interviews. And he finally, you know, he just got it. it everything just clicked on after he was here and building them up and then, you know, Vern wanted to make him originally make him a heel, and that's when he brought in uh, the manager, um, Luscious Johnny Valentine. Luscious Johnny Valentine, and the people, Valiant. you know, they, they just didn't yeah. respond to him as a heel. And then I came up with some music and videos of him, and da 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 da. And uh, <clears throat> you know, he, I still get a lot of people that say, "Hey, I ran into Hulk Hogan and asked him if he knew who Gary Derusha was." And he goes, "You mean Juice out of Twin Cities? Are you kidding me?" <laughs> yeah. He says, "And his, he used to call my dad Alskins." Yeah, hey, so, Alskins. I haven't talked to him in, in quite a while, but then the venture went on, where we were doing so well in the AWA and we were selling everything out, and then of course uh, we were going to drop the belt to him, but the uh, Vern wanted a part of terry's money out of japan because terry was huge in japan um so long story short we came up with an idea to have a couple of different television shows and have some you know different champions well we got greg guyney was television champion but we came up with the ideas and Vern didn't want to invade the territories well after he said no Vince McMahon flew in and we met at Terry's house out in Bloomington and we laid out the saga and Vince says, absolutely. And so we started with USA wrestling Remember that program was on pro, pro wrestling USA. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would send tapes to Vince from, uh, uh, from our library, if you will. And I'd always send Hulk matches. So then long story short, I went to New York with, when Terry left, we had, it's funny, we're at the Chicago Rosemont Horizon, and I was running the show, um, you know, with Greg and everything, and just, you know, coordinating everything. Um, well, Vince got a hold of me, 
and we sent the photographer from Titan Sports at the time. It wasn't called WWE. It was Titan Sports. Mm -hmm. We set up all the interviews and the pictures of Hulk beating the Sheik as the champion downstairs in the Rosemont Horizon in the basement uh, before and we were working for Vern and we're setting the stage in the Rosemont Horizon. So then I went out, Terry and I went out together uh, to WWE and uh, we had 52 TV stations at the time and they were on the bicycle system, which you know what it is. So I set it up. I went to Baltimore, Maryland and bought a production studio and Long story short, in two weeks, we had 200 stations and we got it all done. But when you talk about Hulk Hogan and what he became, the icon, I think the only one bit number one recognized sports athlete of all time was Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Now, I think probably Dwayne Johnson, which is another story about the Wild Samoans, would be the net uh, would I think is probably topping Terry because of all his movies in Hollywood. But Terry was one of the first ones that did a lot of Hollywood scenes. And, uh, you know, I remember I was in New York. He said, calls me, he says, Juice, you got to go to the house. I was the only one that had a key to his house in New York. So I go over there. He says, you got to send me all my stuff. He said, this this character they have is bullshit. And so uh, I talked to the producer and gave him some ideas. And then we sent Hulk's wrestling stuff and his T-shirts and his boots. And we just made it happen. That's when he was doing... Uh, uh, thunder and paradise or whatever. So mm -hmm. anyways, we could talk about Hulk all the time. Still a class gentleman. Uh, it still gives me credit for a lot that I had done for him. And, you know, the next time I see him, they will say juice, let's have a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He came up to see me. And, uh, when I was having my back surgery, yep. uh, he came up, uh, to the hospital and uh, to see me and visit. And he did the, what are you going to do when the Hulkster is after you and Al Skin? Yeah, he, he was a great guy. I, Gary knew him a, a heck of a lot more than I did. But the time I was around the Hulk uh, here at the AWA, and uh, uh, I went to New York uh, first short time and couldn't uh, stand all the um, uh, the traveling and the hoo-ha my back went out again and I said okay I gotta give this up but uh, uh, I had fun with the Hulk he was a good guy okay another name um, I when somebody asks me about him the first thing that pops into my mind is he had the most infectious guttural laugh I've ever heard. Um, absolutely loved working with him. The gentleman I am referring to is none other than Ray the Crippler Stevens. Oh, yeah. Ray. Well, my dad can answer that one. Ray the Crippler Stevens. Oh, you could okay. spend an hour just talking about Ray the Crippler. Yeah. we. Uh, he uh, and Pat Patterson, you know, in fact, there, there's the... Uh, that's right. Photo of, uh, yeah, of uh, uh, Ray, uh, the, Ray the Crippler. Uh, he and I got along really well, as well as uh, uh, Gary did with him. Uh, he was a master. He was kind of like a Bobby Heenan 
uh, he would have some, he would come back with some quick uh, little flips, you know, and he was uh, always laughing and having a great time. Uh, he, uh, uh, he was the kind of guy that money didn't mean anything to him. He just wanted to have a good time, you know, and uh, like out at the, the showboat in Las Vegas, you'd find Ray sitting at the bar and he's got his, you know, he's throwing the money down and buying drinks. And, you know, I, uh, he was just, um, he didn't worry about anything. You know, no, what he, I'm saying? He, he was a, he was a man's man. If you will, yeah. he just, he did whatever he wanted. Yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't matter inside the ring. One of the most technical, oh. scientific. I mean, him and Pat Patterson oh. uh, were brought in uh, to put Brunzel and Ganya over to make, and they, and this was later in their careers, and they they did a phenomenal job. Ray the Crippler Stevens still he was a part of that Larry Zabisco Nick Bockwinkel story we were talking about out in uh, in in um, uh, what's the name of the auditorium in San Francisco. Ray the Crippler and Pat Patterson still have the attendance record in the Cow Palace for a professional wrestling event. But Ray the Crippler, uh, yeah, you talk about somebody that wants to have left. We could spend another half hour talking just about all the ribs he did. Oh, all the boys. Oh, yeah. But Joe, you remember when uh, they used to hide and scare each other? Oh, yeah. There was a contest as to who could flip off who first. Right. Yeah. And the one, the one quick story I have about Ray about that, doing interview day, and remember the, the 1001 YZ Boulevard office. Oh, there's right. Pat. Um, but um, I, I hid on, on uh, Ray outside. In fact, it was on top. Remember the entrance is a little overhang. Yep. I was up on top, and it was yep. winter time. Warm enough where I could do it. I was waiting for Ray because I knew <laughs> he had interview day. So I hid up there. Ray comes walking in. I jump down, <laughs> flip him off, double bird. He goes and flies back into the bushes that were right outside the front door. After he has gets done being dazed, he just looks at me and again. That infectious, guttural laugh. He just goes, you fucking Polak, and just started laughing. That, well, that just, we did every single day. Oh, and, and then later on when both Wahoo McDaniels and Ray were oh, in the yeah. office, yeah, all the stories, and going over to their house, they had a, a house down in St. Louis Park, and the, yeah, the ribs that Wahoo and Ray would pull on each other <laughs> is priceless. Well, the, those two, when they were rooming together, it was literally like having two high school kids yeah. together. Yep. They they <laughs> they love to play very hard, shall we say? There you go. Um, okay, so another name. Um, we talked about Patterson and Stevens. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't get your reaction on a dear friend of mine uh, and and yours, I know, um, the one, I I, I say the one and only, I mean, they're all one and only, but this guy, Mr. Nicholas Bach. Oh, 
Nicholas Bockwinkel, nine-time all, nine-time AWA heavyweight champion, Nick Bockwinkel. Yeah. There he Funny. is. Go ahead and take that one, Dad. You'd ask. Uh, the old saying was, we'd have fun. You ask Nick what time it is, and he'd tell you how to build a watch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he uh, that again. Uh, what a great guy, a great technician, probably one of the best uh, interviews. Uh, you know, the humanoids, the eight to five uh, six packers, the whatever he would come up with the uh, interviews. He uh, was amazing. And, you know, he had the respect of, of uh, every wrestler in the territory. He, uh, they understood Nick and, uh, you know, he was a very uh, intelligent guy. I mean, he came across on his interviews, but uh, uh, Nick was, was that way. You know, it, Nick, it wasn't a character. That's really who Nick was. Yes, that's it. On, uh, in the ring and out, in, out of the ring, he was Nick Bockwinkle. He always called me uh, Alley Cat. Hey, Alan, Ed, that aluminum. Uh, Halliburton. Uh, yeah. Halliburton. You know who he gave that? I still have. Nick Bockwinkle gave me his very first Halliburton suitcase. Yeah. It was the gold one. I still have it. I still have my wrestling boots in my uh, at my home. Obviously, I'm never going to get rid of it. But Nicholas Bockwinkle. Oh, here, Juice. This is for you. <laughs> thanks for all you do and he gave me he said this has been mine since my career started and i want to pass it on to you his halliburton suitcase we wow. talk about you know trusting and Vern with the belt and who he can trust and who he can't trust well that's why nick was brought in and that that was his whole career was putting over Vern or doing a job for Vern or you know controversy with heenan so that Vern didn't have to do a job and so, I mean, he was nine-time champion um, and for years. One of the biggest things we talked about Hulk Hogan was uh, Nick Bockwinkle put Hogan over and over and over and over. And uh -huh. Hulk appreciated what Nick did for him very much. He actually named his son Nicholas. Well, Nicholas Bolea. You, you, you brought up... Um, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion, the single greatest overall performer in the history of the business. Give me your thoughts and words on Bobby the Wheat, Bobby the Brain. <laughs> well, my dad probably, you know, he shared the story earlier about uh, Bobby Heenan. <clears throat> but uh, as my dad said, he was phenomenal. I mean, his interviews were tremendous. Um, he, my dad, uh, had a relationship with Bobby and his wife Cindy. Yeah, was it Cindy? Yeah, Cindy. And they finally had a little girl, right? Yep. Yep. And so, you know, they that goes way, way back. And traveling, my dad did a lot with them. And uh, go ahead, do you want to interject? Oh no, I was going to say, uh, Roger Kent and I went to Bobby uh, Heenan's wedding. And uh, we, uh, instead of throwing rice, we were throwing popcorn at him, you know. And uh, 
Bobby and and Nick, of course, lived here locally, so we got together a lot, uh, including uh, playing golf. Uh, oh yeah, uh, many times we went to uh, one time. We had a uh, uh, Pat Patterson and uh, Louis Dundero, uh, Pat's partner, and Ray. Um, it was uh, Roger Buck, uh, Pat Patterson, Nick, and Heenan, and we all went out to the Met Stadium. Oh, yeah. And we had a tailgate party out of Nick's van. And so we had, you know, cooking, whatever. And then we went into the uh, stadium and Bobby was drinking beer and we were kind of down behind home plate. And he said, fuck that. I'm not going way up there. So he starts peeing in the cup. That's the beer cup. And so the- <laughs> So he didn't have to walk all the way up to the top to go to the bathroom. He just started peeing in the cup at the stadium. But uh, Bobby Heenan, when we all, again, we tell a ton of AWA stories, but when he went to New York uh, and they were going to do a manager job and whatever, but then when he got behind the camera uh, starting to do the play-by-play in the color with Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were a team that, oh, and Heenan just, I mean, he he was better than when Jesse was there. Heenan brought it to, you know, you always got to talk about the next level, the next level, the next level. Well, Bobby Heenan brought that uh, with him and um, Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, they really did an unbelievable job, and Bobby really became – you know, very, very, he, he was paid very, very well. Um, and it was hard. He was, it was hard for Bobby to leave Vern because of his loyalty. But at the end of the day, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Can I, uh, I flew to New York with Bobby first time. Yep. And Bobby was, you know, really, like you just said, leaving Burn, leaving the territory. He, you know, he had second thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're having a few cocktails on the on the plane, and Bobby gets off uh, the plane, and uh, he said, I'm not going there. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I, I thought it over. I don't want to leave. I'm I'm comfortable where I'm at, and I, I, I'm going into something that I really don't know, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Bobby, you're here. Yeah, go and talk with Vince and whatever. And uh, I, I not toot my own horn, but uh, I was pretty much instrumental in uh, having Bobby make up his mind to stay in New York. Yeah, and that's that's a true story, and the right. rest is history. And I've got two more names, and then we're going to have to unfortunately get this wrapped up. No um, problem. Um, Gary, I guess these are going to be more uh, more for you uh, okay. because it was during our time, and I right. say our time uh, in the eighties for my next generation. For exactly. <laughs> um, the, the, the two names, I'm going to save the single guy for last, but I want to talk about a tag team. Um, oh, I know where you are. The stories that we can tell about Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Oh, the Midnight Lockers. Well, we used to call them the Midnight Lockers because in the spot shows in the high schools, they used to take and pick locks while they were waiting for their matches to see if they could get the locks. And then 
funny we were talking about the battle <laughs> royal we had uh what was silo sam remember oh, silo yeah. sam? Oh. <laughs> Pennsylvania. So the midnight rockers would take the locks off and then we'd hogpile for the battle royal. And every time the silo Sam would come out with the bat with the locks on his back. <laughs> and then the one time, remember Medusa with Kelly? Yeah. So the midnight rockers put a lock on her hood ornament of her Cadillac. And she'd be driving down the road and he goes, look, it's the tea kettle effect. But uh, I got to tell you, uh, Marty Janetti uh, came first and Sean came second. They also brought back a very, very nice man, dearly miss him, uh, DJ Peterson. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's another story for another day. But Marty and Sean uh, were the, that next generation. And they brought in probably the best pair that they could bring in to put them over and make matches. Joe, which we know are phenomenal ones, was uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Yeah. And we had, I mean, we had, we used to do apartment wrestling. We would go over to uh, uh, Summers and Rose apartment over on 494, me and Marty, and we would stage out our matches. We called it uh, apartment wrestling. Um, and so Marty was actually a better wrestler than Sean in his early years. And then Sean started, you know, he, he was very, very athletic. And then, uh, Sean, which is, uh, you know, they ended up, we know the story in New York, but some of the, and, oh, and then Marty and going back, Marty and Sean, when we'd stay in the hotels, uh, They'd freaking set the fire alarms at two, three in the morning, wake up the whole place, and they just <laughs> they just stay there in their bed and sleep. I got to tell you one story, though, real quick about the midnight rock lockers. So DJ Peterson and I got into his room, and we had a padlock. And so we were going to get Janetti back. So we're leaving from Vegas somewhere, and we had to catch a plane. Well, we figured we're going to get Janetti back one way or another. So we snuck into the room. We took the padlock. We locked his bag to the drawer of the dresser, right? So here we're sitting on the plane. Here comes Marty Janetti. He's got the drawer from the hotel. <laughs> and he, 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 just, he just naturally gets just dragged along, right? And he's got the drawer. It's dragging behind him. So he grabs the drawer. Sets it down, puts his bag in the drawer, opens up, slides it in, closes it, sits down, and never batted an eye. But yeah, I mean, the midnight doctors. We talked about that, uh, the John Madden uh, birthday, uh, where we didn't videotape it, which we should have, is where the Rockers first dropped the belt to Rose and Summers. I can't remember what year it was. But I was the referee, obviously. Well, Janetti said, get the juice. So he starts hammering me because I, I made a bad call. You know, the foot was on the rope. I should have caught that, but I didn't. And so they won the belt. <laughs> so then <laughs> Janetti hits me, picks me up, slams me. Shawn Michaels gets up on the top rope and drops his elbow on me. And you, you never felt the thing. I mean, Shawn... Uh, some of the matches that out in New York with uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, 
a lot of them were shoots, but they uh, they really did. Shawn Michaels turned out to be, you know, uh, heartbreak kid, and um, Michael Shawn Hickenbottom is his name. Yep. And uh, he went by Shawn Michaels. His dad was uh, uh, in the Air Force, uh, general in the Air Force or whatever, but got to spend a lot of time with those two, with DJ and then Rose and Summers. And that was the era when, yeah, it was just, it, 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 we could go two, mm-hmm. two tapes of this to talk about the Midnight Rockers. Can, one, uh, can I interject one thing? Uh, yeah. he, uh, Gary talked about Shawn Michaels coming into the, territory and as again uh, Vern would uh, 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 not put him on the card but he would show up as uh, you know a, a match on you know on advertised and just did whatever and Vern would uh, uh, did that with uh, uh, Jerry uh, Fatwell and other wrestlers and then it was my spot show it was at the Riverside Arena in Austin, Minnesota, and it was happened to be on St. Patrick's Day. And that's when uh, Shawn Michaels made his uh, first appearance uh, is uh, on my spot show. Uh, and I introduced him as, boy, we're fortunate on St. Patty's Day, we got Shawn Michaels, it is. And <laughs> when I introduced him, but... Uh, yeah, and then later on, uh, the rest is history. You know. Yeah, uh, my dad and I saw him out at Cauliflower right. Alley, Shawn Michaels. And uh, um, for those of you that uh, he gave his life over to the Lord and he's fighting. And um, he was very, very nice and pleasant yeah. to us. And um, the one that Shawn contributes a lot of his success was, again, from Pat Patterson. Yeah. And Pat Patterson actually, you know, made me go through and work with me on the gestures of being a referee because they used to go one, two, three. You got to go one, two, you know. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Sean paid a great tribute to Pat Patterson as well as, you know, he taught me a lot about refereeing and, and that out in New York. And uh, so it did. Yeah. The Midnight Rockers. <laughs> Sorry. One more, one more name. I know we're getting uh, short on time, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring his name up. Um, just recently, um, and I, I can't believe it's been twenty years, but Mr. Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, one of the best all-time ribbers you've ever met oh. in your life. <laughs> Uh, from the poopy diapers and the back seat uh, at, at outings and his kids, they'd have poopy diapers, and he was always known for poopy diapers. I go back with Kurt Henning, Larry the Axe Henning, and my dad. We go back to, uh, we're 15, 16 years old, uh, fishing up in Canada yeah. with Al Tomko and the promotion up there. But I'm going to tell you the one thing that I know about Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning learned the business outside the ring. He learned the business inside the ring. And then what he did is then he worked on his body. I mean, it's kind of reverse of what these guys do now, but Kurt Henning and his lovely wife, Lanice were 
I mean, they lived on a, a, an apartment out in Portland, Oregon, on a cooler for a kitchen table. Um, Kurt was, uh, what do you say? He, 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 he thrived at the business being around his dad. Um, his very first match was in Elk River, Minnesota at his old high school. And I, I got a picture of him when he was young. But Kurt Henning, um, again, scientific. Uh, we talked about New York. Kurt Henning and Brett the Hitman Hart had some very, very big matches that were shoots. And uh, Kurt Henning also had a shoot with Brock Lesnar, um, which turned out. But uh, you know what you can tell a boy from Minnesota? Not much. <laughs> that was Kurt Henning. That, and, and Kurt was, he was a proud father, loved his wife, loved the business, loved ribbing the boys. But one of the things, and I, Joe, I remember when we brought Jimmy Snuka in oh. uh, out at uh, Vegas, Jimmy Superfly, uh, we actually sat with Kurt and talked about, you know, what he has to learn. And Snuka was the one that would always say you have to learn the business outside the ring to be successful. Well, then when he went to New York, obviously he had his run here with, uh, you know, he became the champion with the Larry Zabisco. Larry and him worked very, very well together. Uh, and Wahoo. And Wahoo. And uh, we did that match with, uh, uh, at the showboat, the strap match with Wahoo and, and Kurt. And the finish was Adrian Adonis was supposed to come in and cut the strap. Well, Wahoo snitched down a little bit too hard, and Kurt was holding on, and uh, Adonis uh, cut uh, Kurt's finger off. And I was the referee. I grabbed the finger, threw it in a bag, and ran it into the dressing room and put it in ice to hold it. And we fin the finish was over. The first thing I did was grab it and it saved his finger. But um, yeah, Kurt was a master. He, he, he just loved being in the ring, but he also loved being out of the ring, ribbing the boys. I mean, him and Wahoo got into some Wahoo would slash Kurt's tires. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kurt Henning went by a hotel we we're up North doing, and I think it was in Grand Forks at the state fair up there. Kurt Henning got a hold of um, Roman candles and uh, Wahoo and, and Stevens are sharing a room. It was one of those outdoor hotels. And here's uh, Kurt Henning with the freaking Roman candle shooting them at the door. The freaking door started on fire. And, oh yeah. It, yeah. But Kurt is uh, you know, just, just a great guy. Unbelievable father. Uh, we ran into Lenise uh, a couple, three weeks ago at the promotion that Mick Karsh put on. But, um, yeah, Kurt was, yeah. Then he went to New York, obviously became Mr. Perfect. And, yeah, he just, he, he was an athlete. There's nothing he couldn't do. He couldn't, I mean, you saw the videotape we put together for Mr. Perfect in New York with him shooting the basketball, hitting yeah. baseballs, pool, bowling, pool. I mean, there's nothing he couldn't do. I mean, he was a natural born athlete. Yeah. And he would let you know about it. What's that? He would let you know about it too. Oh, yeah, no, it, 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 yeah. it was a perfect gimmick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where he came up. What can you tell a boy from Minnesota? Not much. Yeah. 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 
He, he was also one of the luckiest guys. Every time we were oh. doing, you know, he would buy a pull tab. Oh, yeah. And win. Oh, yeah. It was just. He had a horseshoe in his ass. Yeah. Oh, I, I've told the 14 story about Kurt Nine many times. See, I agree with you. But hey, gentlemen, um, I'm, I'm getting the wrap up signal. I would love to have you guys back on again. I'm not kidding. We could probably do a minimum of eight episodes with all of the yeah. stories. Oh, easy, easily. Easy. I, and I'm sure we've only scratched the surface. With oh, yeah, we haven't. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll take the time to say thank you for what you're doing. It's fun to, to reminisce about the AWA because it really was, as my dad mentioned before, one of the, the biggest uh, territories uh, that, you know, in the United States and, it wasn't just Minnesota. It was, you know, Wisconsin, uh, Utah, Nevada, you know. So uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Anytime you want us back, uh, probably not after this one. They'll say, ah, we don't want those guys. <laughs> um, but uh, we could uh, we could shoot an angle and come back next week and talk about it. But thank you very much for having us. It's right. been our pleasure. Um, and uh, it, it, it's been an uh, uh, unbelievable opportunity to grow up in this business and uh, how honored I am to be uh, my dad's son. It's, yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great run. Well, gentlemen, and as Aaron would say, that's all the people need to know. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you for your friendship <laughs> over these many years. Um, I can't wait to have you back on again. And I think Anytime. that we'll get that scheduled. We got a lot of stories that uh, about uh, just about everybody. I would say that any wrestler that you can name came through the AWA. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't care who it is, they got their start here. And, uh, you know, it's great. Thank you. Thank you, All gentlemen. Right. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thank you, guys. We're just going to take them out of the stream, but we'll leave them connected. Uh, Joe, I mean, I there were so many stories there that I know we could have gotten so much deeper into. Again, there's such the, – the joy about Al and Gary is that you've got the entire timeline of the AWA covered, and it's so hard nowadays – to to get a firsthand perspective of everything and to have it i mean that i was just i was just sitting here and i loved every minute of every story that they told they've got stories that i don't because they they traveled to the small towns when i was with the awa i was doing production right. so if there was a tv taping or if we needed to, to record an event I was there during my time, but these two, they promoted Gary refereed, Al refereed. They, 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 they lived it more than I did. And the stories that yeah, said earlier, we could do eight hours. I'm not exaggerating. There are stories no. that I know that Al has told me and Juice have told me that we could have added in here, but Time, hey, time limit draw, right, Chris? Yeah, we uh, we we went the Broadway plus the extra five minutes that uh, the referee allowed us another five minutes. So uh, this was great. We're definitely going to get him back on again because 
we have not. I have a feeling we have not even scratched the surface. Not even uh, close. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and take care of some business here. Uh, first of all, you can see uh, the Seventh Avenue Pizza banner up there on the upper right-hand corner. If you're watching it on YouTube, uh, now that we're getting it, you know it's getting a little bit warmer. We'll get you into your, uh, you know, your AWA swag here in uh, in just a minute. But you know, one thing I like to do, I like to grill my pizza. I don't know if you guys have ever done it. If you're grilling your pizza, 7th Avenue Pizza, we're getting to the point where, you know, you can start grilling a little bit. 7thAvenuePizza.com, you can find it all over the Twin Cities. It's great frozen pizza. It doesn't even taste frozen. They've got a brand-new breakfast pizza. They've got a meatball and pepperoni that I love. Um, just It's just a great selection. Again, check them out, 7thAvenuePizza.com. If you don't know where it's at, just go ahead and, you know, leave us a comment Hit us up on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, whatever. Also mention um, Soda Stick. Soda Stick, they are the place to get your officially branded, officially licensed um, AWA Unleashed gear. And you can get the hoodie. You know, still a little cool. You can get your hoodie with your personalized name, your gimmick, as they would say. Uh, but uh, you can go ahead and get that. Use the promo code AWA. Uh, unleashed. Uh, I think actually just used uh, unleashed, and uh, that'll be your fifteen percent off on that. Let's go ahead and get to our shoutouts here, and then uh, we'll go ahead and wrap her up. Joe, uh, what you got? Real quick, um, Brian Ferguson from Bumps and Thumps podcast. He had me on recently, and uh, as I love doing here, I love doing it with them, talking about the old AWA. The major league of professional wrestling. That's right. And uh, I'm going to thank uh, Ralph Harkey. Uh, Ralph's always watching on YouTube and always giving us uh, feedback and you know, always commenting. So we, we love it, Ralph. Thank you so much for uh, being a loyal subscriber. And hey, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, hopefully, next time, you know, we'll uh, we give Mick shit, give him a hard time. But uh, at the end of the day, Mick, we hope you're feeling better physically. Uh, we hope you're feeling better uh, with your uh, your illness, your uh, little bout that you had. And uh, hopefully Mick will be back next week. That it? That works. Okay. Well, I guess, uh, I guess that's the end of the podcast. So we'll catch you next week, guys. Okay, bye. <laughs>